All right. Well, listen, uh, for those of you that came this morning, uh, I'm glad that you did because I think you're going to really enjoy the message today because we're in this uh, series study on the parables of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 13, that's where we will pick up uh, this morning. In Matthew chapter 13, you're going to see eight different parables uh, that's in that that's in that chapter. And those parables are known as the kingdom parables. Now, all throughout the New Testament, we read many different types of parables. But the parables that you find in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom parables, they are a distinct and different set of parables. They all build off of each other. Every one of these parables will use components and and uh, symbolism um, borrowed from other parables in the same chapter. Jesus just rocket-fired all these parables um, on this day when he told these parables. Now, all these parables are to be taken as a whole. Uh, they all have to do with each other. They're not separate and distinct. Now, they are. it's a separate story. It's a separate parable every time. But the heavenly truth that is being communicated in each of these parables, they build off of the ones before and even the ones that follow. So that's why we've been camping out in this chapter for a while. Next week will be the, the last Sunday of the, the, uh, the kingdom parables as we'll move on to others. But I think you're going to find uh, today uh, very interesting just simply because of the information that Jesus gave in such a small amount of Scripture. It's just, it's just really, uh, it's really neat. And I think it's also worth remembering that when Jesus is telling these parables, these specific types of parables right here, the disciples that were hearing these parables, they didn't have a clue. They had no idea what he was talking. He was in a foreign language from this point on. And so as you might have found yourself uh, reading uh, these parables at one point, and you're like, okay, well, it just went over. Well, you've got a lot of really good company because even his own disciples never figured it out. But after Pentecost and years that followed from Pentecost, uh, there's no question they began to ascertain what Jesus was saying when he said what he did. Because things began to uh, unravel and develop and the answers to the, the hidden messages that Jesus gave, so to speak, the symbolism that he gave in these parables became very, very evident and, and, and obvious to them. Um, and Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44 through 46, uh, here's what we read. We're going to uh, cover the two parables today, uh, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. It just says this. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. That's it. And then he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. That's it. Now, I really don't want to get ahead because I'm, I'm going to harp on this next week. But I do want you to just see something. This is called human nature. So all of us in this room, we don't feel so stupid a lot of the time. Okay, this is human nature. After Jesus finishes telling these parables, and the next one is the, uh, the, the dragnet, the, the net, and then the last one. But after he tells the net, the parable of the net, which follows these two right here, he says, if you look, if you have your Bibles, in verse 51, Jesus said this. He said, have you, he's talking to his disciples on the side, and he says, have you understood all these things? 
And it says, and they said to him, yes. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't have a clue. I mean, in the first two parables, the, the parable of the, the seed and the sower, and then the following parable, the wheat and the tares, he gave a lot more information on those, and they were clueless because they went to him. And they asked him, what are you saying? Why do you speak to the people this way? Nobody understands you know, the words coming out of your mouth. What are you saying? Well, then he explained, he gave the answers to the meaning of those two parables, which thankfully for us he did, because now we can see a lot more of where he was going with the others. But with the others that followed, they were so small. The mustard seed, as we saw uh, last week, the leaven parable that we saw last week, and then these. Do you understand what I am saying? Oh, yeah, sure, we got it. How many times have you been reading something and you think everyone around you understands it, but you're sitting there and it's like, I don't have a clue. But you nod, you go along, yeah, that's right. You time the amens because the person next to you just let one rip out and you want to feel like you're part of the crowd. You don't have to... Uh, you don't have to know everything to be all right. The disciples didn't have a clue what was going on. Right here, do you understand these things? Yes. Don't you wish he would have said, well, tell me what you know. Wouldn't that have been a good gotcha moment right there? Well, he didn't. Um, because he's not going to embarrass the disciples. Well, this is just one of those times when it's a really good, vivid reminder to us, if you don't know something, ask. Search. Look into it. Because uh, the only dumb questions are the ones that you don't ask. Amen? Amen. So, on that note, let's take a look at what Jesus was saying when he talked about the parable of the hidden treasure and the great pearl, the pearl of great price. Now, I love what Warren Wiersbe had to say, and I liked it so much, I wanted this to stand out in your bulletin if you're taking notes. He said this about these three parables, the hidden treasure, pearl great price, and what we're not going to look at today because of time, which is the, the dragnet. We're going to pick that up next week. But here's what he said. He stated, quote, At the close of this age... God will have three peoples, three peoples. The Jews, which is what the hidden treasure is about. Uh, the church, which is what the, per, uh, the pearl is about. And the Gentile nations who will enter into the kingdom. And that's what the dragnet parable is about. And I love how he said, I wish I would have come up with that, because that is so perfect. That is what Jesus is communicating to us in these parables. In these parables, these kingdom uh, parables that he tells us, it's a story of God's redemption, and it's, a, it's literally a game plan of how God is going to roll things out. What is going to take place? In other words... It's like Jesus is saying, if you want to know from beginning to end what God is going to do to redeem the world and to get the world to recognize the salvation that he has to offer this world, here's, what it's going, here's what's going to take place. Here is how these things are going to unravel. And he gives us eight parables showing that. That's exactly what this is about. The hidden treasure has everything to do with the Jews. The pearl has to do with the church and then the Gentile nations. Now, Dwight Pentecost, the great uh, theologian preacher, Dwight Pentecost, he said this, quote, he said, The man in the hidden treasure parable and the merchant in the parable of the pearl represents Christ Jesus himself. The field represents the world as it did in previous parables. Now, the purchase of the field, as we uh, read, the purchase of the field and of the pearl 
refers to Christ's work on the cross in providing salvation for the sins of the whole world. Now, that is so true. I want you to look up on the screen just a couple of quick verses. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, what do we read? The Bible says, He, talking about Jesus, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid everything. Jesus paid it all. Now, how about this one? This is one of my favorites. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, the Bible says this, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Regardless of what you have done today, According to God's word, he has not counted your sins against you if you follow Jesus Christ. As a follower of Christ, your sins are as if they never, ever even happened. That is how God sees you if you are a follower of Christ Jesus. Not counting man's sins against them, as the Bible says. And because of this purchase, the purchaser acquired a treasure. And he also acquired a fine pearl. These things are of such great value to the purchaser. And who again um, is this purchaser? This man that we read in the hidden treasure. This merchant that we read, you almost miss the merchant and the pearl. It's just quickly hit and the focus is on the pearl. Who is this man, this uh, merchant, this purchaser? It's none other than Christ himself. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. God has not abandoned the world. And when you take a look at, uh, take a good look at the world today, Sometimes it's, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? I mean, there's so many things that's so out of control. And the good news, when we look at this parable, these parables right here, God has not abandoned the world. In fact, he sees a treasure in this world. And all of its mess and everything going on, he sees a treasure in it. Who is the treasure in these parables? Jesus thinks you are the treasure. You want to know who the treasure is? It's you. And, it, and it's me. You are that priceless pearl. You're that priceless gem. Think about it. In the eyes of Christ, you were worth leaving glory when Jesus came to this earth, this sick, destroyed, uh, sin-filled, de uh, infested filth that we find ourselves in, and we surround ourselves day to day with the, the hurts and heartaches that, has, uh, that comes our way. He left his throne and he came to this place because you were worth it. You were worth it. He laid aside his deity as he told, as, uh, he told uh, the Philippians, as Paul told the Philippians, as something to be grasped and he emptied himself taking the form of a man, a bondservant. He left it all to come here. We are, we are his prized possession. And that's something that we should remember. Regardless of how you feel about yourself, you really are his, his trophy. You're the one that matters the most. Because he left it all, just for you and just for me. Now, we may never feel worthy enough to compare against such a lofty expectation of love that he has for us, but he's never asked us to be worthy, has he? He's only asked us to be obedient and to follow him. That's all he wants. He wants our attention, and he wants us to trust him. That's how he seals, uh, feels about us. Um, you were worth running after in the eyes of God. In a few weeks, we're going to get to the parable of the prodigal son. You know the parable of the prodigal son is the only place in the entire Bible, in that parable, where you see a picture of God running. And Jesus told that parable. 
And why did the father in this parable, who's representative of God, why did he run? He ran after his son who came back home. When a person repents from their sins, the Bible says, symbolically speaking, you're coming home. You're, you're coming home. Because when you're a sinner, you're separated from God. You're doing your own thing. When you recognize you're a sinner in need of forgiveness and you want to place your, you're going to place your faith and trust in him and nothing else, you're coming home. And the Bible says in that parable that God ran to grab his son before he could even get to the house because of the excitement and the love that he has for us. You are his, his prized pearl, his valued treasure. Now, we see the place, the place where it all started. We see the place. There's three parts of the hidden treasure I want you to look at. The place. Where did it begin? It began in a field. It began in a field. The place where the treasure was found was in Bethlehem in Judea. That was the place. That's where the treasure is at and still to this day. This is the spot where the plans of God's kingdom, this is where they are, they're focused right now today. Uh, so Jesus literally, he steps out of heaven as a man and this is where he enters uh, uh, into the scene. Now, and the second point in your bulletin, I already filled it out. You can remove the, the, uh, the blank after it. We see a plan. We see a plan. We know the place. We know where it's at. And we know the plan, don't we? Of course we do. Jesus came and he told the Jews that the kingdom of God was among them. Remember when Jesus would, would, say, would say to the people, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember when he would say that. Well, he would say that all the time because the kingdom of God has come. But when the Jews disregarded all that Jesus was saying and made, uh, especially the claims that he made about himself, Jesus changed the plans right there on the spot. He did a 180. Jesus moved to another plan. Why? Because of the hardness and the rebellion, the disbelief the, uh, that, the, I mean, excuse me, that, the, that the Jews had toward him, their rejection of the king, Jesus moved to another plan. By the time Jesus told this parable, by the time Jesus tells us this parable uh, right here, he had already hidden that treasure again. Again. See, the kingdom was offered to Israel, but Israel refused to acknowledge or accept the king. And then when that happened, a concealment occurred and occurs to this day. You know, in Luke 19.42, you'll see this on the screen. Jesus said, If you had known in this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Isn't that something? Isn't that sad? He came with one goal in mind, and it didn't take place. It didn't take place. After the Babylonian captivity... Israel was reborn, and Israel was brought back to prepare for the day for when their Messiah would come. And he did, but he was rejected. And once the Jewish leaders blasphemed the Holy Spirit, then the Lord changed his approach. Now there will be a more terrible and longer exile for the Jews. And this will continue until Jesus comes back, until the return. Uh, today, the gospel is widespread, and it is open to the Gentiles, and whosoever will follow him. And that's where we are today. Today, the hidden secret of the role of the church is on display. And we also see, third, we see not only... Uh, the place where it started, the plan for his coming, but we also see a price for his coming here as well. 
Now I want you to take notice of something. This is really good. While the Jews as a whole, as a nation, broke his heart and refused to follow him, Jesus was far from being discouraged. Now he was, you, you don't think, you, you, know, it's, you think it's devastating. He came unto his own and his own received him not, as the Bible says. Yet, he was far from being discouraged. Take a look in your Bible again and notice what it says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And then what does it say? And from what? Joy. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Why was he joyful? Why was he joyful? He was joyful because having uncovered and hid it again and hid it again it was only a matter of time before the whole world and the treasure that is in it that it contained would be his would be his the treasure is still in that field for there will be no visible kingdom without a king and this parable the parable of the hidden treasure this parable emphasizes his purchasing of this field. Of this field. Only the owner of this field, and we know who that is, can uncover that treasure. And when he comes back, which is the return of Christ, he's going to do just that. That is exactly what is going to take place. And then that's when the Bible says Jesus will set up his kingdom and he will reign as the Bible declares. It's that whole thousand-year millennial reign of Christ that we read about. And, oh, man, uh, through many epistles, it's completely covered in the book of Revelation. Uh, that's what all of that means. This is the meaning of the hidden treasure. Now, the next parable, the parable of the great price, um, or the costly pearl, if you've heard it called uh, by that name, as another beautiful picture of the salvation that God offers us in Jesus. Now here we find something else that is hidden. It's a very costly pearl. It is one of a kind, too. There's nothing else like it. It is so special, and it is of such value and worth that Compared to all other gems, it was worth stopping and purchasing this one pearl. In fact, the quest to find the ultimate of everything is found in this one pearl. So much so that what do we read? It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, that's Jesus, seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. And he bought it. Now, when we read the parable of the costly pearl, we understand, because I've already touched on it, using that quote that Warren Wiersbe gave us earlier, who is the pearl? The pearl is the church. The pearl is you. You are the church. I would venture to say most all of us here today are Gentiles. And we see that when God changed his focus, his direction, and we read this through the parable of the sower and the seed, the wheat and the tares, the mustard parable, the leaven parable, the hidden treasure, the pearl great prize, the dragnet parable. When we read all of these parables, we read this shift, this turning. And now here is this pearl of great price upon finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and he purchased it now a lot of people today they believe that this pearl represents jesus you might have heard that you might feel that way uh, as well but with a a sound good look 
um, at this passage, and not just this passage, but in the parables that preceded it, you're going to see something altogether different. Uh, let me put it this way. The sinner in this parable does not go out and find Christ. Christ finds the sinner. Why did the, what does the Bible say? Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. Let me put it this way. The day when you accepted Christ, that day when you gave your heart to Jesus, you surrendered yourself to him, you called him Lord and Savior, which means there's no other, there's no one else. There's no other way to get to heaven. My goodness will not work. Going to church will not work. Getting baptized will not work. Taking the Lord's Supper will not work. Doing the best I can be will not work. The moment you recognize you're a sinner, and unless you give your heart to Jesus, you will have to die with your sins. But the moment when you gave your life to Jesus, Jesus now died for your sins. The moment you realize that, everything about you, the Bible says, every single thing changed. Everything changed. You didn't just wake up one day and say, well, gosh, I got nothing else to do today. What am I going to do? I think I'll go out and accept Jesus. It doesn't work like that. It has never worked like that. Some of you might have stumbled into Jesus and you didn't even know you were looking for him. That's what happened to me. When I was 19 years old and my friend was really working on me to become a Christian, uh, I resented it. I ran from it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I thought the church was, uh, I thought it was for people that didn't have anything else going on. Now, I was very negative against the church. But it's because at that time in my life, every single person that was my age, they were out doing the same things I was doing, but then they would be at church on Sunday mornings. I never saw the real thing lived out. I never saw it. So in my mind, I just thought there was nothing to any of this stuff. If it works for you, fine, that's good, but let me be. You can keep all that junk to yourself. Well... I had three friends, and they made a pact during that summer that they were going to see Ed Lowe get saved. They literally did that. It was Arlo Amundsen. He was mostly instrumental. There's Mike Cooper. There's Paul Coulter. One night, I go over to Mike Cooper's house, and I thought we were going to play spades. That's what I was told. They lied to me. But I go over there. We're playing cards. And while we're playing cards, well, they didn't necessarily lie, but I think they did, but I'm glad they did. And so, but we're sitting down, we're playing cards. We barely got through the first round of playing cards, and the phone rang. And Mike Cooper gets up, he answers the phone, he gets real excited. I mean, he gets really excited. What? No way. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, count us in. All right. Okay. And he hangs up. They're all looking at him, and I'm probably looking at him too. I can't really remember, but I remember he said, Hey, guys, guess what? Put the cards down. They're going to have church services tonight at Flat Creek Baptist. You know where Flat Creek Baptist Church is in Sedalia? That's okay because God doesn't even know where this place is. It's so small, it's so insignificant. It's out in the middle of nowhere. If you get lost driving in the hills and wilderness of Sedalia, you're running to Flat Creek Baptist. And so we go there. And that night when we went there, as we left the house to drive there, I had one thought in my head. They lied to me. They tricked me. They knew I would no way be here if we were going to go to church. Who goes to church on a Saturday night? That was my thought. So we show up at this church, and no lie, there's probably 20 people in the church. It was, it was a Saturday night, and when we walked in, it had just barely started. In this little small church, as we walked in, the senior adults, as is the case, they're sitting in the back so they can be the first ones to run out when church is over. I don't know. But they were sitting in the back, and there was probably 25 rows of no one. And 
I'm following Arlo and the guys, and where do they go? They go to the very front. And I remember as I'm walking, I'm thinking, where's everybody at? Why are we here? This is so dumb. And I'm sitting there, and you know the name of the message that was preached? I don't even remember the pastor that preached the message, but I remember the name to this day. The name of the message was the name of Jesus. That was it. I didn't know what Jesus meant. I didn't know he died for the sins. Of, I didn't know what that meant. And I remember as we're holding the hymnals, they're holding them up, and we're singing. Well, I thought we'd be playing cards at Cooper's house. So I would hold the hymnal. Remember, we used to sing hymnals, but I was holding the hymnal, and I'd be reading it. That was a little joke right there for Ross. I wasn't reading it. I wasn't singing it. I was mouthing my mouth to the words. Why? Because I was so mad. I was a knucklehead. I was just, I was just, I was out there. I wouldn't sing. I was so mad. I was so bitter. But I didn't want to look like a horse's patoot, so I would sit there and mouth the words to join in. But in my mind, I had this thought. It was just drowning me. When I can get out of here, I will never I will never go back to Cooper's house. So I remember sitting there, and after we were through singing a couple songs, uh, the preacher gets up and he just starts talking about the name of Jesus, what it does to people, the power that's found in Jesus, how he changes people. And you know what I remember? I remember looking out this window. By now, it's dark. I mean, we are really lost now. It was dark. And I remember I'm looking. I'm not even listening. I was so rebellious. And the best way I can describe this, y'all, I didn't hear a voice. But in my mind, I had this dominating feeling, this voice. Someone ta- it's like someone was talking to me and was saying over and over and over again, why don't you listen? I can get emotional about this if I dwell on it too long because those words are the words I heard over and over. Why don't you listen? And you know what I remember doing? I remember vividly turning from looking out a black window I couldn't see and looking up there at the pastor and not even five minutes later, I had tears just rolling down my face and I didn't know why I was crying. Those, that five minutes I decided to listen was when he described, well, this is what happened when Jesus went to the cross. And that was the first time I understood it. Now I'm embarrassed. And while I'm embarrassed, I'm justifying to myself why they tricked me. And I'm embarrassed because I'm crying. I didn't know why I was crying. So I was trying to be real cool, and I would scratch my, my forehead and drop my hand and get the tears. as a, you know, I was just so full of pride. Well, an altar call was given, and I got up, but I walked out. I don't even remember getting out until I'm walking down the stairs outside, and all I thought was, if I could just get to my car, and I can go home, I can be rid of all of this. I thought my heart was going to pound out of my chest. Um, I was sweating. I was emotionally upset. I felt stupid. I didn't know why. And no lie, the minute I got to the car, as I turned around, Arlo was standing at the passenger side. He was walking behind me the whole time, and I never heard him. I was so focused on just wanting to get out of there. And I remember I looked at him, and I said, what are you doing? He goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. And then he goes, well, then uh, I'll go with you. And I said, no, I don't want you going home. I'm going home. I don't feel good. Why don't you go on inside and ride back with Coop? He goes, I want to ride with Cooper. He goes, I'll ride with you. And I said, where am I taking you? Because you're not going home. And he goes, drop me off at the house. I go, okay. So as we get in the car, I looked at him. I said, I don't feel much like talking either. He goes, that's okay. Oh, okay. So we're driving. We're not even on the road one minute. So what do you think of the service tonight? 
And I remember I looked at him, and right out of my mouth, I said, I told you I don't want to talk. And he goes, okay, okay, well, just answer this one question. What do you think of the service? And this is what I said. In all my ignorance, I said, well, the, the preacher is pretty good, I guess. Um, but I don't know, right now, there's just a lot of things going on, and I can't explain it. I, I just need to go home, I guess, and go to bed. And he said, well, you know why you feel the way that you feel? And when he did, it's like that was the last straw. That cork came out of me, and I let it fly. He had every reason to punch me in the face, um, but he didn't. He was very calm. He was very cool. And he described to me, you're under conviction that means the Holy Spirit of God is working on your heart. And I remember I looked at him and I said, the Holy Spirit of God. So there's two gods. And why does one have a weird name called the Holy Spirit? And then he goes, let me describe to you this thing that the Bible refers to as the Trinity. And he explained it, and I understood it. I've never understood it before. And I thought, that is so cool. But I couldn't let him know that is really neat because of my pride. So what we ended up doing for two hours, we just drove and I drove. I don't even remember how I was doing what I was doing. I was so into all that he was saying. And we covered everything in that two-hour drive that night. When we got to the house, what I didn't realize, two weeks after that, uh, that moment, I gave my life to Christ. And I was by myself in my bedroom. Arlo had already gone back off to school. I didn't know how to become a Christian. So I remember one night I got on my knees. I put my hands together. And I imitated the pictures that I saw little kids do as they pray. They would put their hands together and they would pray. And I thought, well, that's what I need to do. Well, that's what I'm going to do. And I got on my knees in the best way I knew how from two weeks of hammering Arlo. And now Cooper and... And, and Paul, well, what does this mean? What about this? And what about that? And well, then explain to me this. And I was just a sponge. I knew I needed Jesus. That's all I knew. There's nothing else that's going to get you to heaven. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, my reason for uh, sharing with you this testimony is because i don't know where everyone is here i know most of all of you but you you should know that a commitment to jesus is the greatest thing it's the greatest event it's the greatest moment you will ever have in your entire life there is nothing that comes closer to that intimate relationship you instantaneously gain when you come to jesus you know, the value which we see in this, this second parable, in this pearl, the church, that's you, is so important to him, he is willing to do whatever it takes to get your attention. If you're stubborn and you're just a complete moron like I was, just running from him, he's going to run after you. But he is going to meet you where you're at and where he, uh, because he knows where, where to find you. Now, we did not choose Jesus. The Bible says Jesus chose us. And I think it's important to remember that because in this parable, when you read, it says, And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. We do not buy salvation, y'all. A lot of people today try to buy salvation by going to church, by being good, by getting dunked. That's how they try to buy. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is the one that paid the price. Now, as the parable of the hidden treasure lays out the future of the Hebrew people, its twin parable, the, par uh, the parable of the pearl of great price, it shows us a future of a large group of redeemed people. While the treasure has to do with Israel, 
The pearl has to do with the church. Even as you look through the Bible, you will find the related symbols involved. You know that the earth is a constant symbol of Israel, while the sea is almost always portrayed as nations. And the waters that are seen in the Bible represents nations which are made up of Gentiles. Uh, Two good verses, you can look them up on your own. Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Or Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, describes that very thing. Therefore, while the treasure was hidden in a field, the pearl was buried where? In the water. Here's some interesting aspects I think you're going to find about this. Pearl being the church. Now check these out. You know, pearls are created or they're made whenever uh, in the waters, as you know, they, they grow gradually, the oysters, uh, being unseen as they develop over time. It takes a long time to make a pearl uh, because the pearl itself within that oyster it has to grow and mature. And just like that, the Holy Spirit convicts and changes the church as it grows as well. It is usually unseen because the work of the Holy Spirit is in transforming people from within. And like a pearl, the church is a product of suffering. Of suffering. Christ died for the church. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that. And by His suffering on the cross, her birth, that is the church's birth, is now made possible. Now, if the church was originally birthed through suffering, what does a pearl have to do with suffering, you may ask? And the answer to that lies in your understanding of how is a pearl made. A pearl is made when a foreign object pierces the oyster or injures it. When this occurs, the oyster will bury the object under layers of secretion uh, until it produces a pearl. And it takes time to do that. See the similarity? Consider this. Did you know that the Jews in Jesus' day, they did not value pearls at all? At all. They, they had no value to them. None. Um, the disciples, when they heard this parable right here, you know they had to, be, had to have been thoroughly uh, confused. Why? Because pearls just didn't mean anything to them. Uh, they, were no, uh, they were not seen as any kind of a costly gem. However, the Gentiles, on the other hand, were known for hunting prized pearls. They were the wealth of kings. And just like that, the church, being largely Gentile in nation, are seen as pearls of highest value. And think about this, too. Did you know that in Revelation chapter 13, we see two beasts, symbolism, symbolic. We see two beasts that will arise and will mislead the world in that time that we call tribulation. One is coming from the sea. And the other is coming from within the earth. Both of these will mislead both Jew and Gentile alike. In other words, as Israel will be led astray from the beast who comes from the earth, we see the church will also be led astray and will be under attack when another beast arrives having come from the sea. All of these images, and there's so many more are obviously symbolic, but when taken in light of its context and compared with the cross-sections that we see in other passages, this meaning really begins to make sense. In these two parables that we see today, we have a field and we have the sea. So let's sum up the pearl. The pearl is the church. The pearl is not Christ, for the previous parables do not support the, the position for this narrative. The sower, the man uh, who found the treasure, and the merchant are the same person. 
If the merchant is Christ, then the pearl cannot be Christ. But notice this, and don't miss this. Here's the, 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 probably the best part of that small little parable. The Scriptures show us, the Scriptures reveal to us that that merchant was seeking, wasn't he? He was seeking what? It says. He was seeking pearls of great value, and he found one. He found one. And it was of such value, he sold all that he had, and he purchased it. And he purchased it. The picture here is a picture of Jesus leaving the throne room of heaven to come to earth for this incredible, valuable wealth. Now, in his eyes, in his eyes, he finds the church. He finds the church. And what is the church? You are the church. We are the church. The church is made up of redeemed individuals who have repented of their sins and follow Christ. We know he left glory to come here, for we know why he died, don't we? Of course we do. You have unbelievable worth to the one who purchased you by his death. By his death. Paul summed it up this way. And you'll see this on the last slide. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, that heavenly merchant bought the pearl with every single thing that he had. Everything. It says it. And he went and sold all, all that he had, and he bought it. You know, we used to sing a song here um, a long time ago. I am not going to sing it. Do y'all remember the song, Tis a Glorious Church? Nobody? Kevin Robertson would sing it. Tis a glorious church without, oh, tempted this, without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood. We would sing it all the time. It would even get Baptists clapping. You know that's good when that happens, right? It was exciting. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, uh, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Well, there is but one church, but it is made up of many local churches that's on this planet. And all who receive Christ as Lord and repents from their sins by willfully following Him are true and genuine members of His body. And that glorious pearl of great price, that church possessed so much value to that merchant that the Bible says he sacrificed all that he had in order to obtain it for himself. So let me ask you this morning, where is your treasure at today? Where is it at? What do you value the most right now today in your life? What do you value the most? We see here in these parables what the Lord values the most, don't we? Boy, it couldn't be more crystal clear. What do you value? Where is the heart of your treasure at today? My question for you today is, do you have a heart that values Christ? How do you live for Him the moment you walk out these doors? How will you live for Him this week when you go to work? How are you going to represent Him in your home to your children? How do you value Christ? He sold everything he had for you. What are you willing to give up and do for him? 
Maybe today you just need to clear up some things that you've allowed to creep into your heart and to choke out that picture of who Jesus is and the role that we have and the, the, the awesome responsibility of a privilege that we get to follow him. He allows us to follow him. Maybe today you just need to, to uh, ask the Lord to search your heart and the way in which you place him in your life. So my challenge to you is this. Why don't we seek together today to ask God to search our hearts and reveal to us the amount of value that we give him and let him have his way with us? Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you right now. Jesus, we want to thank you for, for loving us so much that you were willing to give up everything for us. And God, you came to earth, and you lived among us, and then you died on a cross in order to purchase us uh, for, for you. you. You gave us now a way that we could be forgiven. And so, Lord, it is my prayer today that anyone that is in this room, God, that you would let them know the importance that they play uh, and the amount of love that you have for them and, and what you want to do for them by forgiving them of their sins. God, there was a time when I was very much not looking for you, but you were looking for me. And God, you got my attention when I, you weren't even on the radar. God, if there's anyone here today and I don't know why, if, if they're just here out of duty, out of just curiosity, uh, Lord, maybe they've been running for a long, long time, and nobody knows it but them. God, I pray, would you just really speak to them and let them know, why don't you just listen? I love you, and I want you to know it. God, it is my prayer today that we would leave here with a greater understanding of what you've done for us. God, you came to us first. We haven't come to you. And we want to ask God right now that the things that might be in our lives that blocks you out and keeps you at arm's distance, God, if we would just lower that arm and just allow you to come in. I pray, God, this morning that if there's anyone in this room and they've been wrestling with what it means to be a Christian, God, that you would encourage them to come down and speak to one of the ministers or maybe one of the people at the end of the aisles who's on the prayer team. And God, they can know what it means to be born again. And Lord, anyone else that's here today and their heart is heavy, there's some big things going on. Father, I just want to ask that you would be with them. And God, that you would do the same thing. Encourage them to pray. Find someone and pray. God, we just want to ask that you would move and that you would have your way during this invitation time. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.